Good morning again and again. Welcome to Liberty Church. We are uh, excited and honored that you're here today. Don't you love Miss Grace? Wasn't it wonderful? Your beautiful face froze right there, so what a great thing. But we are honored that you're here today and uh, just uh, glad to be a part of the body of Christ. How many glad to be a part of the body of Christ today, to be a part of something bigger and greater uh, than ourselves, that we're not in this alone, that we really are together, uh, and we are stronger together as we serve the Lord. Uh, I just want to encourage you this morning, uh, as you saw in our video announcements, to be in prayer this week. This coming Saturday, we'll be doing our distribution day. Uh, for our coats and hoodies. We've got 133 kids and their families that are going to be coming out. 80 kids and their families to ARAV, 53 kids and their families to our Holly Pond campus this coming Saturday for a special service. Uh, we're going to be sharing the gospel with them, loving on them, just creating a great atmosphere for them to come in and hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our prayer uh, is that we're going to see people come to know the Lord and we're going to see families connected to Christ and really see generational sins broken off as God begins to work and heal the hearts and lives of people. So I want to challenge you to be in prayer for us and just remind you that the deadline, if you adopted a coat, the deadline to have that back is this coming Wednesday, uh, and you need to drop it off at the church office uh, by 4 o'clock. Amen? And uh, let's participate and just have a great time to be a part. Well, this morning we're going to wrap up uh, our little two-week series entitled Riding Shotgun. Uh, and if you look at that first point on your outline, we said living a life of faith uh, often looks like an extended road trip. We sometimes spiritually set the cruise control, get, get relaxed, and we often find ourselves lost, frustrated, and wondering how we've gotten here. It's usually because we're leading ourselves and doing life our way instead of God's way. And we made the statement last week that Christianity is really a great adventure, that God is inviting us to be a part of his story. And if your story is not bringing God glory, then guess what? You need to swap seats, right? You need to get out of the driver's seat. You need to get back and begin to ride shotgun with Jesus, so to speak. And you need to begin to follow the leadership of the Lord. And we talked a little bit last week how that we all, at times in our lives, have found ourselves in places and we're like, how did I get here, right? This is not what I intended. This is not what I planned. This is not the path I, I, I thought I was going to go. And, and here's the good news today, though. When you find yourself in that place, there really is a remedy. And it's just called returning to the Lord. Amen? If we return to the Lord, He is faithful. If we return to the Lord, He will lead us and He will guide us into the path that He really does have for our lives. We also said last week that one of our primary roles as followers of Jesus Christ is literally to let Him lead. We have to be willing on a daily basis to surrender our lives. And y'all say it with me. What are we going to say? Jesus, take the, take the wheel. All three of you said that. Anybody else? Come on. Jesus, there we go, because today, God, I'm going to ride shotgun. So look at that first point on your outline this morning as we kind of wrap together uh, what this really means to follow the leadership of the Lord. So the only way to get to where God wants us to be is to allow Him to lead. The only way to get where God wants us to be is to allow Him to lead. Let me just say this to you. No one accidentally ends up doing the will of God. No one accidentally ends up in the place and the promise and the position that God has for them. We only find ourselves in the place God has us to be when we are willing to follow Him. There is a purposeful pursuit that is required for you to do the thing God has for you to do. Now, you can aimlessly wander without God's help. Amen? 
You can aimlessly wander through life. You can aimlessly wander through, through relationships. You can aimlessly wander financially and spiritually and find yourself in all kind of crazy places. But the only way you're going to end up where God wants you to be is you're going to have to be willing to purposely follow Him. God has a plan, God has a future, and God has a hope for every single person. Let me ask you a question today. How many of y'all really believe that? How many of you believe God has a plan, a purpose, and a future, and a hope for all of us? Let me see you raise your hand this morning. I believe God has a plan, God has a future. Now, let me just challenge you in something. It's one thing for us to say that we believe God has a plan, and that God has a future, and God has a hope. And it's one thing for us to believe that enough to raise our hand in church on Sunday morning when we're surrounded by Christians. And it's another thing for you watching online in your living room all by yourself to raise your hand and say, hey, I believe God has a plan, God has a future, and God has a hope. But it's a whole other element of faith to say, I believe that God has a plan and God has a future and God has a hope on Monday morning when the world says go this way and God says go this way and I'm going to have to choose. It's a whole other thing when there's peer pressure. It's a whole other thing when you're at school. There's a whole other thing when you're at work. It's a whole other thing when you're out on the town on a Friday night and all of a sudden everything around you is leading one direction and God is leading the other direction and you've got to make a decision. Do I really believe that God has a plan? Do I really believe that God has a future for me? Do I really believe there is a hope in Christ that I cannot find anywhere else? And do I believe that enough to commit my daily life? Not just to raise my hand in church, but to actually commit my daily life and the daily agenda and the daily schedule and the daily decisions that I'm making on a daily basis because that is really what lordship and what leadership and what Christianity is all about. It's about following him in the little things. How many of you know it's all those little decisions that end up setting the direction in the course of our lives? And so we've got to believe that God really does have a plan. Now look at this last point here. It says the longer we resist the direction and the ways of God, the longer it takes us to get to the promise. In Acts 13, the Bible says, And after reading from the law and the prophets, the leader of the synagogue sent word to them, speaking of the disciples, saying, Brothers, brothers if you have a word of exhortion for the people, please speak. And standing up, Paul motioned his hand and said, Hey, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors and made the people to prosper during their stay in Egypt. How many know God can prosper you know wherever you are? God can prosper you in a land of captivity. God can prosper you no matter who the president is. Come on, somebody. God can prosper you in the midst of every economic, every economic setting and culture. God can prosper you. And he prospered them, the Bible says, while they were in Egypt, in Egyptian bondage. And with mighty power, he led them out of that country. And for about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. And look at this. And all of this took about 450 years. The more you resist his leading... The longer it takes to enter the promise. Now, I'm not sure about you guys, but I was kind of thinking about this this week, and I don't know that I have 450 years to waste. At least not here on planet Earth. Now, when I read that 450 years, and I began to think about the process and the journey, I began to think about how that God led them out, and I thought, Lord, we are so, we are so connected to people. How many know people are still people 2,000 years later? 
The same people that came out of Egyptian bondage are very similar to the same people that are walking around in Arab, Alabama today. Right? We are people. And here's what I recognize about us as people. The Bible says God led them out of Egyptian bondage. And they were excited to follow God as he led them out of bondage. But they began to resist God when he began to lead them into the promised land. And I thought, how many times in our lives have we been excited about God leading us out of addiction and leading us out of, out of relationship chaos and leading us out of financial bondage? I mean, it's so exciting when God restores your marriage, God restores your finances, and God restores you from addiction, and God starts putting all the pieces back together. But the problem is simply this. The problem is like the Israelites, we have a tendency to let God lead us out but then we start resisting when God wants to lead us in. Y'all remember the 12 spies that God sent into the promised land? Ten came back with a negative report. Two guys stood up and said, hey, we are well able to take the land. And all of a sudden, they spent 40 years in the wilderness wandering around the mountain until everyone that had rebelled against God died in the wilderness and their children went in. But it still took 450 years for them to fully possess the inheritance that God had for them. So the longer we resist, guys, the longer it takes to experience the promise. And while I was thinking about that 450 years, the Holy Spirit said, Keith, he said, that ought to teach you two things. I said, what is it? He said, number one, he said, it ought to teach you, first of all, that the promises of God are generational. See, there's a generational promise. I love how God describes himself in, in, in the Old Testament. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. And the Lord just said, he said, Keith, you need to remind the people that the promises of God are generational. What does that mean? It simply means this. It means that our obedience is so significant because what God is doing in you today is not necessarily for you. See, and there are some sacrifices. Hear me today. There are some sacrifices you're going to make today you may never see the fruit of, but your children will. There are some decisions you're going to make today. You may never reap the harvest that you thought you were going to reap, but your grandchildren will. See, Deuteronomy says something. Deuteronomy 28 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. Every time you step out in faith and obey God, guess what happens? You get a new revelation of who He is. See, when you got saved, you knew Jesus is Savior, right? He saved you. And you were so excited. He forgave you of your sins. And you're like, whoo, he's so awesome. And he's so good. And man, it's amazing. And do you kind of remember there's like a little grace period when you first get saved? It's like every little crazy prayer you could ever pray, God answers. And then all of a sudden, it kind of stops. And God starts saying, do you trust me? And you're like, well, you know, I, I kind of trusted you more when you answered me. Like yesterday. <laughs> and all of a sudden the Lord starts leading us and the Lord starts revealing himself to us and he starts requiring obedience in the, in the face of difficulty. And every time, this is what I know in my life at least, every time I've stepped out in faith and obedience to the Lord, God is always faithful to show up. And every act of obedience brings a new revelation of who he is. So when I got saved, I knew him as my Savior. But then somewhere along the line, I realized that not only was he my Savior, he was my provider. He actually wanted to financially meet my needs. And then all of a sudden, we went through sickness and disease and a 10-year battle of depression. All of a sudden, we came out on the other side and realized, hey, God's not only our Savior, and not only is he our provider, but he's our healer and our deliverer. Come on, somebody. But you never experience that without obedience. But every act of obedience brings you to a new re revelation. And here's the good news. The things that are revealed now belong to you and to your children. 
And so what took you 30 years to figure out, your kids are going to learn in kindergarten. Right? When you get that revelation. See, this is why your obedience right now is so important. Because it's not just for you. And the revelations you receive now are going to be imparted to your children. They're going to start walking in something when they're five years old that it took you 45 years to figure out. Let me give you a good natural example. Let's talk about technology for a minute. How many of you know that most kindergartens are more technologically savvy than most adults? As a matter of fact, grandma and grandpa gives their cell phone to their five-year-old and says, Hey, can you do this? How, how is that possible? Aren't you a whole lot smarter than them? Think about it. Don't you have experience they've never had? Don't you know things they've never done? I mean, they're still figuring out how to read and write. But you don't know how to work your cell phone, and they do. How is that possible? Let me tell you how. Because the secret things belong to the Lord, but those things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. So we got a revelation when we were 40 years old. They got a revelation when they were born. And by the time they're five years old, they're operating technologically at a level that you're not going to probably ever operate until you die. <laughs> now, the same is true spiritually. The same is true spiritually. What revelations you get of God at 45, at 35, at 16, at 18, at 25, at 65, at 75, all of a sudden, once that revelation comes, it belongs to you and to your children and your grandchildren. And our obedience brings that revelation. Why do I need to follow God? Because God wants to do some things generationally that he's going to reveal to me that's actually going to be manifested and brought to fulfillment through my grandchildren. And the Holy Spirit spoke this to me. He said, Keith, you realize that the promise for Liberty Church, he said, this is a generational promise. He said, I didn't create Liberty Church so you'd have somewhere to go till you died. I created Liberty Church to create a generational work of my spirit that's going to bring freedom and liberty and deliverance for generation after generation after generation after generation to come. And what we're doing here on Sunday morning is not about God just providing a place for us to come and worship, but God is establishing a place where we can win souls, make disciples, and destroy the works of the devil that's going to be transferred into the hearts and lives of our children. So when we're all dead and gone, Liberty Church is going to be stronger than it's ever been before. That's why your obedience now matters because it's not just about you. There is a generational inheritance that God wants to release into your life that you may not actually fully grab hold of, but our children and grandchildren will. Amen? Now, the second thing he said, he said, so that 450 years ought to help you understand there's some generational promises. The second thing he said is that 450 years ought to make you step up and pay attention because you're not going to be here that long, so you better grab all you can grab right now. Amen? Amen? I need to be obedient now because there is a promise for my life. Yes. There is a promise for my generation. There is a promise. There are some things God wants Keith Hodges to walk in. There are some things God wants you to walk in. There is an inheritance that before you die and go home to be with him forever, he wants you to experience and grab hold of and participate in and enjoy the fruits of your labors and experience the power and the harvest of God. But it is only contingent upon our obedience to follow him. So not only does my willingness to follow him produce a generational blessing, but it's my willingness to follow him that is the only way possible for me to receive my inheritance and walk out God's plan for my life. Because I do believe, Jeremiah 29, 11, that he does have a future and a hope for every person on the planet. So the more we resist, 
the more we delay what God wants to do. Look at that next point on your outline. Now, there's nothing like the promises of God. God's promises often are a motivating factor for our faith. But I want you to hear this. But when your faith is truly being tested, it won't be enough. We need more than a promise. I'm just going to say that to you today. We need more than a promise. It won't be enough to keep your allegiance to the King of Kings. Why? Because we are quick to forget all He has done for us. And to stay excited about serving God, I want to interject another word in there. Not just excited, I want to say to stay committed, to stay connected, to stay engaged, to stay full in on serving God. Guess what's going to have to happen? We're going to have to learn how to reside or dwell in the resolve of the Lord, which is simply this. It is the love of God. See, the promise of God motivates us. But when I read the Word of God, it is so exciting. And when the Holy Spirit quickens a promise to me, and all of a sudden I get a word from the Lord, and I don't know what God has said, man, that's so motivating, it's so inspiring, I want to charge hell with a water pistol, right? But the realization is you get those promises from God, and then all hell breaks loose. Amen? All hell breaks loose, and there's resistance, and there's trouble, and there's trial, and there's tribulation. And all of a sudden, there's this pressure pushing back against the very thing you believe and know that God has called you to. And this is what I want you to see here today. I want you to recognize that it's not enough that we have a promise. We also have got to have a love affair with Jesus Christ. Because the promise of God motivates us, but it is the love of God that sustains us through the storms of life. It's that love relationship. Think about your wedding vows. We got to celebrate a wedding yesterday with an amazing young lady that grew up in our church. And I've done hundreds of weddings in 28 years of ministry. And, and, and you know what I've recognized? Every time a couple stands and takes those vows, you know what a vow is? Right? A vow is a promise. For richer, for poor, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Sounds pretty permanent. You know what I've realized? At least for the weddings I've done, 100% of the time when they say those vows, they mean them. They mean it. They're 100% fully committed to the promise they're making to one another in that wedding altar. They are all in. But something happens. It's called life. It's called disappointments. It's called failures and setbacks and hurt and pain and a lack of expectation and realization of the things that we hoped and dreamed and expected marriage was going to bring. And many of those marriages, not a lot of them, but some of those marriages, I'll use the word some, not many, some of those marriages didn't endure till death to us parted. They ended in divorce and they ended in adultery and they ended in, in abuse and they ended in all kind of crazy, horrible things. And this is what I realized, though. I realized looking at my life and looking at other people's lives, the promise is powerful. But when the storm comes, it's the love that we have for each other that keeps us together. The promise motivates us, inspires us, and challenges us. But it's the love that sustains us through the storms and the hard times. It's because we love each other that we fight through the hard things and we press through the difficult things. And the same that is true of our marriage relationships is 100% true of our love relationship with God. Because we forget what He has done. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, let me just read it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 
God says this. He says, now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you and follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Look what he says in verse 9. And only be careful and watch yourselves closely. Watch yourselves. That's a pretty good word. Watch yourselves. And then he tells us why we should watch ourselves. Look what he says. Watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen. Or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Watch yourself, lest you forget. You know what I found out in the hard times, in the difficult times, in the challenging times? We forget what God has done. And we also forget what he's promised to do. And the only thing that's going to sustain you is not going to be a not going to be a memory of yesterday, and it's not even going to be a promise of tomorrow. It's going to be the love that you have in your heart today for God. That's what's going to sustain you. That's what's going to keep you. That's what's going to carry you through those difficult times. It's a love relationship. The love of God and our love to God that sustains us. Let's look at the next point. The enemy will use all sorts of tactics to get us off track. He tries through temptation, through sin, through pride to keep us distracted and distraught. Think about those two words, distracted and distraught. You could, you could use those words to describe probably many people you know, right? How many people do we know right now? Man, we are just people are so easily distracted. We're distracted by the chaos, the confusion. We're distracted by the problems and the difficulties. We're even distracted by the good things and the bad things. We just get distracted. And all day we get distracted, we get distraught, we get overwhelmed, we get frustrated, we get discouraged, we get disheartened, we get depressed and anxious and worried about all these things that are happening in our world around us and all these things that are going on in our lives. And it is so easy. The devil works overtime, guys. Hear me today. He works overtime to distract you and to just bring you to a place where you're distraught and overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. But look at the rest of this. When we live in that place, right? When we live distracted and distraught, we are lost without hope and clarity that comes from God. When you're living in a place of distraction, you're living in a place where you're distraught and overwhelmed by life, guess what happened? You, you're, you're lost. You've lost your way. You've lost sight of what matters. You've moved away from the thing that holds you to the place you're supposed to be held to. And all of a sudden, if you're not careful, you know what will happen? You'll lose your hope. You'll lose your clarity. Isn't it amazing sometimes that when people get in the midst of the storm, all they can see is the storm? You ever been there done that? When you're financially over your head and struggling just to get through one more day, not even one more week, all you can see is the financial weight. When your family is crumbling, when the world is locked down by a pandemic, it is so easy just to be consumed by the storm. And we lose our hope and we lose our clarity to see through the stuff that's coming at us. And when that happens, we actually block the blessing of God and we suppress the work that God wants to do in our lives. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Y'all say that with me. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. How many of you know there's always a way out? 
There's always a way out. Now, the challenge is, is to choose God's way out. How many know the world offers you a way out? A way out of that marriage? Just get a divorce. A way out of that financial problem? Just file bankruptcy. A way out of that issue on your job? Just quit it. You'll find another one. A way out of that disgruntled relationship with a family member is just never see them again. There's a way out. Just We're no longer, we're just taking family gatherings off the table. I don't want to look at you and I don't want to deal with you, so I'm just not going to be around you. The world offers us ways out. But guess what? So does God. With every temptation, there is a way of escape. And I want to just encourage us in something today. I think the way out is to let God go deeper in. I think the way out is to let God just go deeper and deeper on the inside of us. Just to, just to, be, just to be saturated and filled with who He is. There's something powerful about His presence. There's something powerful about what God's put in you. I, I just this last week, uh, to share y'all a little bit. So I, I get up early and I like to do my quiet time. I go out on our back deck if the weather's permitting, and I do my part of my quiet time out on the back deck. And so we bought a little fire pit probably a month or two ago. So I put that thing together, and this past week I went out to do my quiet time and I built me a fire. And I was doing my quiet time by the fire. I actually five thirty one morning and I roasted me a marshmallow. It was beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Jesus. But I was, I was sitting by the fire and, uh, man, just having my quiet time and I was reading and I was praying, just talking to the Lord. And, and, and my mind, I, my mind is crazy, you know. So, so my mind, I began to think back when I was in, in Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts or something. And I'm like, I, I remembered, I thought, you know, I think when I was in the Boy Scouts, we like boiled water in a brown paper sack or something. <laughs> well, that's just crazy. Do we really do that? So, of course, I, I Googled it. And, and I didn't find my brown paper sack, but I found a YouTube video of a guy with, with a water bottle, just like this. And, and he had a campfire, a raging fire, and he took the lid off the water bottle, and he set this plastic bottle in the middle of that campfire. And it didn't burn. As a matter of fact, it didn't burn, and it actually sat there to such a degree that it actually began to boil the water out of the bottle as it was sitting there, not melting and not burning. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit said, Keith, do you get it? I said, no, tell me. <laughs> he said, it's not what happens around you that keeps you from burning. It's what's in you that keeps you from burning. It's what's in you. It's not what's going on around you. It's not the temptation. It's not the trial. It's not the pressure. It's not the hardship. It's not the difficulty. It's what's in you that preserves you. It's what's in you that saves you. It's what's in you that keeps you from being fire, that keeps you, makes you fireproof in the midst of the storms of life. And then I just began to think about that bottle was boiling, boiling up water out of it. I thought, you know what? And when you're in the fire and you're full of Jesus, guess what comes out of you? Jesus. And in the fire you praise him, and in the fire you honor him, and in the fire you worship him, and in the fire you glorify him, and in the fire all the things that are in you come out of you. Because it's not what's happening around you. It's what's happening in you that matters. And I know everybody's going to go home and build a campfire and try this this week. <laughs> Just be careful. Don't burn the house down. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 2. Look at this with me. Paul says, nevertheless, God's foundation stands firm. 
sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. For in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And some are for special purposes, and some are for common use. And those who cleanse themselves, right? We have a decision to make here. We get to decide, am I going to be useful? Am I going to be useful in the hands of God? Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, speaking of wickedness and sin, will be instruments for a special purpose, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Look at that last point on your outline. We get to decide, guys. We get to decide if we will be available and useful to the master based on our level of surrender. We get to decide. And as I was meditating on that scripture, the Lord just kind of connected some dots in my head. He said, Keith, he said, do you realize, he said, he said the, the, your ability to be useful is 100% determined by your willingness to follow me and be available. And this is what he said. He said, Keith, I don't need your gifts. I don't need your talents. And I don't need your abilities. I just need your availability." And if you're willing to follow me, he said, this is what he said, it's so good. He said, if you're willing to follow me, when you follow me, in me, he said, you'll have everything you need to do what I've called you to do. Yes. Colossians says that we are complete in Christ, lacking nothing. In me, I'm insufficient, but in him, I am completely sufficient with everything that I have. And here's what's amazing. God is not consulting your past to determine your future. God is not looking at your past successes or your failures to determine how he can use you. God is just calling you and me and inviting me and you to follow him. And guess what? If we follow him, every act of obedience that we step into obedience to follow him, we step into the sufficiency of God. I'm just going to tell you, God does not need your ability. When God called me to pastor and preach, I was a little 19-year-old boy, and he began to call me. I surrendered my call to preach when I was 20 years old. And I'm just going to tell you, I was the guy. I was not a public speaker. I was not a communicator. I hated to be in front of crowds. And I, I, I would take a zero in high school instead of give a public speech. I was not the guy to be up here doing what I'm doing now. And I said, Lord, I don't have what you need. He said, you're right, but I do. I don't have what he needs, but he has what I need. And the only thing that you need to be useful is to be willing to be available to follow him as he leads and guides your life. Look at the rest of this statement. The key to our surrender and staying in that shotgun seat is really remaining awestruck in love with the one who has given us life. Right? God wants to help us, and he will lighten the loads that we carry. We just have to be willing to give up the driver's seat and let God do his thing. Revelations chapter 2, verse 4 says this. This is one of the messages to the seven churches in Revelations. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. See, here, here's the challenge. The challenge is that we continue to cultivate a love relationship with Jesus. The promises inspire us, but it's our love relationship with him that will sustain us. And here, here's the thing I've recognized in my life, and maybe you can see it in your life too. We, we can leave our first love and still do all the Christian things we do. You can still practice Christianity 
hear me, without intimacy with God. And a lot of people do it. A lot of people are going through the motions. A lot of people are still practicing a Christian life, but they have left their first love. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know what he said? He said, love God and love people. The greatest commandment in all the world, according to Jesus, the Son of God, is love. Love God first, and if you love God first, then you'll have the capacity to love other people just as God has loved you unconditionally, sacrificially, supernaturally. And then Jesus goes on in John 14. I want you to look at this with me. John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus replies. Somebody is asking him about following him. And Jesus says, all who love me will do what I say. And my Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. If you love me, Jesus says, you'll obey me. Let me say it another way. If you love me, you'll follow me. See, the purest expression of our love for God is obedience to him. It's that we follow him. And we don't follow him because we're believing for a promise. We follow him because we're in love with him. We're in love with him. See, it's that love of God in us that sustains us. And it's our love to God, for God, in love with God, that keeps us through the difficult times of life. And, and here's, here's the challenge. The challenge is that, that we, all, we all love God. But the question and the challenge is, are you in love with God? See, we, we love our dogs, and we love our pets, and we love our sports, and we even love pizza, right? But we need to be in love with Jesus. Yeah. And the Lord was reminding me, he said, Keith, if you love me, if you're in love with me, you'll follow me. Because wherever I am, think about this. Wherever I am, that's where you will want to be. You remember any married folks in the house? Y'all look really scared. Okay, I'm sorry. It's not intimidating. You remember when you were dating? And you were dating to the point that somehow the dating turned into, I want to marry you and spend the rest of my life with you. You remember that, that, that moment? You remember that season, that time? Because in that time, you, you know what? Because you were in love with them, you wanted to be with them. And you cherished every moment with that person because you were in love with them. And it didn't matter what you were doing. See, ladies, before you got married, you loved to watch the football game with him. Because you could just be with him. And guys, before you were married, you loved to go shopping with your spouse, with your fiance, because you just wanted to be with her. But something happens, right? Something happens. And even though we love our spouse somewhere along the line, if we're not careful, we won't cultivate a kind of life that says, I'm in love with you. And the Lord reminded me this week of Kelly as I was thinking about this. So Kelly and I, we've got an interesting little history. So we were high school sweethearts. I was 18. She was 17 when we got married. We were young, dumb, and stupid. Young people do not follow our example. <laughs> All you folks on do not. But uh, so we were, we were, I was 18. She was 17. We got married. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I kind of realized something. I realized I did not have a plan for my life. Should have realized it before then, but I finally, at 19, realized I did not have a plan. So, so I started, without the help of the Lord, 
to devise a plan for my life. And so when Kelly and I first got married, I grew up, my dad had chicken houses. Stephen and Jennifer can relate to this. And uh, so when we first got married, the plan was we were going to build 10 chicken houses. And then the joke among all my friends at school was we were going to have 10 chicken houses and one kid for each chicken house. And uh, I'm thankful that did not happen. Praise the Lord. I'll take the 10 kids. I don't want the 10 chicken houses. So, so when we got married, that was the plan. Well, that didn't work out. And so about 19 years old, a year later, I'm thinking, I, I need a plan. And so I thought, well, I, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a fire, fireman. Don't know why, but anyway, that seemed like a good plan. Well, that didn't work out. And then I thought, well, I'm going to join the Air Force. And so I got really, really close to joining the Air Force. Went to Montgomery twice to get sworn in. And God intervened and shut the door uh, right there at the end. And then finally, after, after that, I'm now about 19 and a half years old. And I finally made a decision. I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I should ask God. Lord, what do you want me to do? Novel thought, right? So at 19 and a half years old, I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and, and he very clearly began to say he wanted me to preach the gospel and be a pastor. And I wrestled with that for about six months. And I was now 20 years old, had been 20 for about three months. And I remember telling Kelly, baby, I'm, I'm, I'm surrendering the call to preach. And we're going to be pastors for the rest of our life. <laughs> and you know what she did? She followed me. And then we pastored a little Methodist church for six years, had our first baby, had our second baby. And then I said, hey, baby, guess what? Man, the Lord's given me this vision for this, this new church. We're going to call it Liberty Church. And, and we're going to reach the nations of the world. And we're going to build this uh, North Alabama's greatest church. And she's like, well, have, do we know anybody that's ever done that? I said, no. She said, well, how are we going to do it? I said, I don't have a clue. And she followed me. Then about 16 years ago, I realized that, man, our church is growing. We're seeing some amazing things happen. I'm realizing, man, that, that I need her help. She can't just be the pastor's wife. I need her to help me pastor the church because there's a lot of ladies here. And, you know, I can preach to ladies, but I can't disciple ladies. So, baby, I need you to step up. And, and this is your time. And you got to rise to the occasion. I need you to come alongside me and not just be my wife, but begin to help me to pastor this church and love and lead people. And kicking and screaming and a little bit fearful and a whole lot of afraid, she followed me. And to this day, she still follows me. And it all comes down to one thing. It's not a promise. She's in love with me. She's in love with me. And wherever I go, she wants to go. Even when it scares her to death. And I've scared her a lot over the years. And the Lord reminded me of that this week. And he said, Keith, that's how you're supposed to be with me. Wherever I lead, you're just supposed to go. Because you love me. You are not, you are in love with me. Now, I want to just challenge you something. When you first got saved, you were super excited about God. you remember that? You were excited about church. You were excited about reading your Bible. You were excited about telling other people about Jesus. You were excited about doing anything God wanted you to do. It was the greatest thing on planet Earth, right? But somewhere, like maybe your married life, something kind of changed over the time, and things didn't go like you thought they were going to go, and there were hiccups and bumps and disappointments. And somewhere along the line, you stopped following. 
You say, well, Pastor Keith, I just don't feel what I used to feel when I first got saved. Well, let me give you some word of wisdom today. This will work in your marriage, too. If you'll start doing what you used to do, you'll feel what you used to feel. Think about that. What did you used to do when you first got saved? What did you used to do when you first got saved? Because if you'll start doing what you did then, you'll start feeling now what you felt then. So I want us just to bow our heads today. I want to challenge you today to fall in love with Jesus all over again. I know you love him, but he wants us to be in love with him. And there's a big difference. See, I can love you and disagree with you. And I can love you and not follow you. But if I'm in love with you, I'm going where you're going. Because I can't stand to spend one day without you. That's the love of God. And that's what he's calling me and you to. So if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to challenge you right now just to say, God, I want to fall in love with you all over again. And then I want to challenge you to do something. I want to challenge you to go home today and really think about what did you do when you first got saved. Think about your passion. Think about your zeal. Think about your energy. Think about your commitment to just please the Lord. And I want to challenge you this week just to begin to do the things you used to do. And I would be so bold and so daring to say that I believe that if you'll actually do that just this week, I believe by next Sunday, you'll actually be feeling some things you maybe hadn't felt in a long time. Maybe a passion, maybe a zeal, maybe a holy hunger for God, just a desire to make Him known. And maybe you're here this morning and maybe, maybe you recognize you've never truly surrendered to Him. Maybe you're watching online and you realize today that Jesus is not really the Lord of your life. And maybe you love the idea of God, but maybe you realize you've never entered into a real relationship with Him. The Bible says today's the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Today is the day we can accept Him, love Him, and be changed by Him. So if you're here today and you're watching online and you say, Today I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I want to begin a love relationship with God that's going to last forever. And I want to commit my life today from this moment on to follow Him. God, where you go, I want to go. That's the kind of life I want to live. If that's you, that's a real life, God. We're talking about a real commitment here today. If you've never made that commitment today, you want to do that right now. If you're here in person, just raise your hand. If you're watching online, just type in that little comment box. I'm raising my hand. I want to accept Christ today. Let's just reach out today. Let's reach out in faith to Him. Because I promise you this, if you draw near to God, the Bible says He will draw near to you. You can't come to Him and Him turn you away. He will in no way cast you away. He's a loving Father who is drawing us near. I want to just pray this prayer. I want to ask everybody here in the room with me just to say it out loud with me. And if you're watching online and you're praying to accept Christ right now, let's pray this prayer out loud. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins rose again on the third day I ask you to forgive me of my sins be my Lord and my Savior 
I commit my life to follow you. And I receive your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. Amen.